0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Live from Washington, DC. It's quintessential listening. Poetry online radio. Now,
2: here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Michael Anthony Ingram. My special guest tonight is best-selling author Zach Beach. Hello, Zach.
3: Hello, Michael. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Yes, thank you so much for being willing to to be on the show. I really appreciate it. All right. I appreciate the work you're doing. Let's start this journey, okay? All right. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What is poetry?
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lovely question. And I think I want to answer it three ways. Because first of all, I was I was recently reading Jane Hirschfield, who I'm sure you probably know a really lovely poet based out here in California. And she just defined poetry as both a clarification and an amplification of what it means to be a human being. And I read that, and I just fell in love with that definition, because I do think we're all here on this planet trying to figure out what it means to be alive, and poetry helps us dive into what it means to be human, and what it means to live a meaningful life. Now, me personally, I do have a spiritual background when I do write my poetry, and I often think about this Zen saying that spiritual teachings are all fingers pointing to the moon, and it's a saying used to describe the reality that there's always a difference between the explained world and the experienced world. Always a difference between the words that we use and the experience that we are pointing towards. And I so often think as I, I often think of poetry as existing in that space between the finger and the moon. It uses language in such a novel and incredible way and it takes us to ideas that go beyond the simple definitions of the words themselves. And the final uh, definition of poetry I'll give you is that poetry is poetry. (laughs) It is exactly what it is. It exists in its own space and there's no reason to even call it anything else than poetry.
2: Wow. Wow. All three definitions was well said. Thank you so much for sharing. I mm-hmm. liked the first one. I liked all of them, but the clarification and amplification of what it means to be human really stuck out to me, too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. Why do you think, then, this is just a little offshoot of the very first question, that poetry is important?
3: Mm. <laughs> well, why is finding a meaningful life important? Um mm. You know, it's interesting. I do feel like poetry has become sort of less popular. It's almost on the fringe of academia, and that's why we need it even more so than ever, because, you know, I have this blog post in mind that I really want to write, and it's something along the lines of, we are living in a capitalist wasteland that has become entirely devoid of meaning. (laughs) Oh, wow. And and I haven't written it yet because I'm not quite sure if it's in line with my brand of like being loving and accepting of all things.
0: (laughs) So I don't know if I want to
3: rally against capitalism too much. Um, But, you know, we live in a world that tells us that like money is the key to happiness, that success is something that requires the grind and we're supposed to find meaning in our work. And there's nothing there right? There's no lasting happiness behind material gain in this world. And we've lost the realm of myth. We've lost the realm of story. We've lost the realm of deep conversations with each other. So poetry, especially now, is needed more than ever in order to reinvigorate our lives, in order to bring more meaning in our lives, in order to look at the world in a different way, to see things differently than the materialistic point of view that we've all been kind of fed.
2: What are some of the predominant themes of your work? I know love is one. What else?
3: <laughs> yeah, my work is a lot around self-love, self-acceptance, meditation, mindfulness, nature, and spiritual awakening. So I even have a manuscript right now on my computer, and it's all poems designed to facilitate one's own spiritual awakening. So I really actually came to poetry and writing and expression through my own spiritual practice of yoga and meditation and contemplation and reading what I think are like the best uh, poetic um, creations of human beings, like the sacred texts, everything from the Bible to the Torah to the Tao Te Ching to the Bhagavad Gita. To me, these words are also poetry So this is where I kind of come from. I see poetry as a way to both ground ourselves in the depths and meaningness of our humanity, while also ascending us to greater orders of thinking and being that is our spirituality.
2: All right. Please share a poem.
3: Sure. Because I just mentioned something about self-love, so... I'll read this poem and it's called Letters and it's from my first poetry collection, Drinking Roses on Sunday. And it goes like this. You are a miracle. You are unique. In all the world, there is no one like you. And I know sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget our own magnificence and what it means to be alive. And during those sometimes, you have to write letters to yourself so that later when you can't stand the too big slash too small of your muscles slash hips or that peeling skin around your dimpled chin or those damn cheekbones that make your face look like, stop. A reminder comes in the mail and says, I don't know you, but one time I saw a sunset over a meadow in Yosemite cast Gorgian fusion rays across the sky and it lit the clouds on, flood, on fire. Well, that was nothing compared to your touch and your kindness and the way your nose wrinkles when you're thinking. If there's one thing that keeps us all connected, it's imperfection. And we all want to follow our dreams, but some dreams you can only see out of the corners of your eyes and dewdrops form in the corners. Well, it makes me sad to think that the white tiger no longer exists in the wild, and to think that there is only one of you redefines the meaning of preciousness. So please, whatever you do, don't cut yourself, and I don't mean just on the surface, I mean don't cut yourself down, sell yourself short, or picture your being as anything less then the dancing wildness of pure ecstasy so momentarily captured in a few layers of skin polish and beauty
2: that's the poem oh wow it's beautiful and the title again letters wow
3: Which I like because I uh, I always like that letters are things that we send to each other and also that the alphabet is made up of letters and therefore every poem is just this amazing combination of the same 26 letters that we all know.
2: (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. Now how does a poem begin for you with an image, an idea, or a form?
3: Image, idea, or form. I'm going to go with idea But it's interesting because I almost want to say none of those things because I feel like it comes not from anything specific, not from any object of the mind, but from stillness, like the Buddhist idea of emptiness. So I would say most of my poetry is written first thing in the morning. I'll make myself a cup of warm tea, I'll light some incense, and then I'll meditate a bit and try to just find a place of stillness, calm, and clarity And then much of my words are simply written from that place. I like to think that I write from a place of stillness in such a way that it does not disturb that stillness. So we talk a lot about in the realm of non-duality, this idea that we are formless, timeless, changeless. And for me, I do feel like I try to write poetry from that place.
2: All right, very nice. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes?
3: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you and me both, we love poetry. We're always devouring poetry. Right now, I'm getting really into kind of the naturalist writers of Wendell Berry and Gary Snyder. And I have read, you know, the big names like Whitman and Dickinson and gone through the modern poetry movements of Kerouac and Frank O'Hara. But I want to be honest with you, because when I come back to the poetry that I love, it goes back to the popular poets many people know, like Rumi, the Sufi mystic from centuries ago, like Mary Oliver, like Hafiz. And it's this, these popular poets that, to me, really capture the essence of mystical traditions. Even the uh, more recent teacher of John O'Donoghue, for example, a really lovely poet, and I love all of his words. I tend to really gravitate towards poetry that we can all understand, right? I tend to shy away a little bit from poetry that makes me feel dumb. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I really just, yeah, resonate with poetry of the great mystics of Hafiz, Kabir, Rumi, and then of the more modern naturalist writers that do write poetry in a very eloquent but also easy-to-understand way, like Gary Mm -hmm. Snyder, Mary Oliver, even Jane Hirschfield's writings I've also been getting really into.
2: Now, if you had to choose one of these poets to serve as a mentor, who would you choose?
3: Oh, wow. A mentor, you say? I'm going to have to go with Rumi. I mean, I can't imagine okay. a better better mentor than that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Please share another poem.
3: Sure. This, well, this poem is a shorter one. It comes from my latest collection, 108 Shavasana Poems. And I'll just mention the, the inspiration for this poem comes from a teaching in Buddhist meditation. And they say that there are different ways of resting like in Buddhist meditation there are multiple ways to rest and like i wanted to say that, that there's like a dozen of them so this was this was inspired by this idea that there, that there are multiple ways to rest and this poem is called simply resting allow yourself to be simply resting simply naively openly completely resting making time for the dust to settle and the muddy waters to calm simply waiting for a deep stream of knowing to flood your already vibrant understanding even the moon renews itself even the ocean breathes see this connection and let the morning curve of sunlight arcing across this blue planet, guide you out beyond any sorrows in your heart into the sunrise of your life and your
2: love. That's the poem. Very powerful. Zach, do you come from a literary background? And what did you learn about writing growing up?
3: So I don't quite come from a literary background, although I do remember being praised for my writing as a child. However, mm-hmm. I was raised that writing is not going to get food on the table. Okay. So
0: that's <laughs> true. <so, laughs>
3: it's not gonna quite pay the bill. No. It won't and, you know, <laughs> so i didn't go to the i didn't get an m f a MFA or go to school for English. I was told that you go to college to get a degree that's going to get to you a job so I was an engineer working as an engineer for a while so i didn't actually mm-hmm. come back to writing until I did come back to spirituality in my spiritual practice and really it all stemmed from just this idea of being present of what we call the power of now or being here now. Yes. Because yeah. there's this saying in meditation that like, if you're bored, you're not paying attention. And what they mean by that is every moment is new. Every day is new, never to be repeated again. And if we simply pay attention, there's this enormous like realm of creativity all around us. Like life is endlessly creating itself. So when I fully became present, like fully in my body, I also felt this like natural flow and natural creative plos- process flow through me. And that's when I just I had to start writing, and that's where it kind of stemmed from now, so, I guess you also mentioned how I was writing um approached when I was a child, and i do yes I did read a lot as a child, and i do really i am really appreciative of my parents for having a huge bookshelf of books, so writing reading was really huge um writing not so much
2: <laughs> all right so if we narrow it down just a bit, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power?
3: Um, That's an interesting question. So what was an early experience where I learned that poetic language had power? You know, I think it's so interesting to me, like, poems and poets like become people's friends right Mm -hmm. and it's something we return back to again and again and i know some people do read like the same book again but i know for me and for a lot of people that you know you read a book and then you're done with it but a poem is something you return to not only again and again but at different times in your life and at each time in your life you extract a little something differently from it Right, you're at a different time in your life and you interpret the words in a totally different way and so even like there's um, this one poet there's from, from, this one poem um, I think it's attributed to Rumi but for some reason I keep thinking it's Mary Oliver but the poem is very simple and it just goes be ground, be crumbled so wildflowers will come up where you are We both have been stony for far too long. Try something different for once. Surrender. And it's 15 words, you know, but arranged in a really beautiful way. And I've been returning to those lines again and again and again throughout my life and finding different meaning depending on how I look at it, you know. I think poems are really wonderful, Rorschach test where we do see ourselves and aspects of ourselves in it. And I think this is also one of the problems a lot of people have with poetry is they always want to know, like, what does the poet mean? Like, what are they trying to say? And why don't they just try to say it? And even in my poems, I'm like, I'm intentionally leaving this up to multiple interpretations, right? I don't want to narrow it down necessarily because life, doesn't want to be narrowed down to any one particular thing so for me it's those same poems that have just come back to me again and again and again throughout my life that
2: continue
3: to cultivate my love of poetry
2: now would you be willing to read that poem one more time
3: (laughs) sure it goes be ground be crumbled so wildflowers will come up where you are. We Mm. both have been stony for far too long. Try something different for once. Surrender.
2: That is so profound.
3: Yeah, it's a profound... So even those first two words, for example, like be ground, it can be interpreted two different ways, right? One is that the aspect of grinding, like just how you have ground pepper so too it's like asking you to kind of dissolve right and that you could that could reference your belief systems that could reference your ego it could reference so many things but another way to interpret be ground is to think of the ground as the earth or to just be grounded like feel the earth underneath of you become the earth and it's that kind of multiple interpretations of poetry that i really love right figuring out all the ways that this can be ter- interpreted and I also love putting that in my own poetry like different leaving different words that have multiple meanings and then readers will kind of pick out the meaning that is most relevant for them in their life
2: very nice let's take a brief break and we'll be right back mm. Seven one six three one, and actually, Zach, we have a caller on the line. Okay, <laughs> Let's bring this person in. The first three numbers are five one area code five one three, and the next three numbers are three hundred. You're on the air with Zach. Good evening. Hello.
1: Hello. Good evening. This is uh, Mr. Romeo DiNazzi.
2: All right. How are you?
1: I'm well. I'm well. Peace and blessings of your future this evening.
2: Yes. Do you have a question for Zach?
1: Yes, I have two questions, if possible.
2: Yes, Yes? please.
1: Uh, The first question would be, uh, what do you believe is your most uh, requested or, um, I guess, most appreciated love poem? And then the second question, uh, well, that's the first question.
3: And
0: so
1: the, the question, question is, what's I my wanted... most
3: requested love poem? Yes. Um, so when you say requested, what do you mean? I might answer your question differently, but what do you mean?
1: Oh, um, like from, from um, audience or fans when you're mm-hmm. performing. Um, so what's written really interesting... that's most received.
3: Yeah, what's been really interesting is my latest book, 108 Shavasana Poems, has really taken off because I did kind of design it for meditation teachers and yoga teachers to read in their classes. So almost every day now I get tagged by somebody on Instagram or somebody on social media who is like, you know, during class today I shared this poem by, by Zach Beach. And it really just really warms my heart to see that people are sharing my poems with others. And there's a poem in my book I see kind of referenced a lot. It's called Nourish Yourself. Um, If I can find it real quick. Um, I'll just read the first um, two stanzas, for example. So Nourish Yourself goes consciously, intentionally, purposefully. Nourish yourself with loving presence. Open the floodgates of your present heart and let its torrential river spill over your hardened banks. Mm. That's the problem. Thank you for sharing. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yeah, what's your second question? Um, for someone starting out in poetry um, in the genre of love and romance, what would you say would be um, a couple points to elevate their poetry from um, just a minimum level to a, a higher, higher, higher
0: mm. skill?
3: Yeah, that's an excellent question because, you know, love is where we all start, right? We fall in love and we want to write so many poems about how this has absolutely changed our life. And really the best tools for beginning writers, starting writers is one, learn from the best. So find those poets that have done really well in the world, that people love, read from them, figure out what they're doing, how they did it, and how you might incorporate those Tools, those uh, things that you love, into your own writing. Two is get feedback. So, get feedback and don't stop. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, um, is, you know, a lot of like early poetry, especially love poetry, is fairly insufferable, right? It's you know okay. it's fairly cliche we could, they kind of use all the same tropes like you were the moon, you were the sun, you were the sunrise in my life right, and you know so it is' really important to get feedback from a poetry mentor from a poetry teacher, and no matter what they say, don't stop because it is a mm-hmm. skill, and like any other skill, the more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you true. get at it and true, then true. so the third and then the third thing is take classes, read books on, on writing poetry, learn the basic ways to use metaphors, simile, sibilant, assonance, different things like this. And the more tools you have in your toolbox will improve your poetry.
1: That makes sense. I appreciate y'all taking the time to give me my answers.
2: Yeah, thanks for your All asking. right. Thanks for calling in.
1: Thank you. I'll be listening.
2: All right. Fantastic. Zach, please share another poem.
1: Cool. So I'll
3: just ask. you want a short one or a longer one?
2: I want a nice long one.
3: All right. So this is, I'll share a poem. I just call it my letting go poem. And this is a poem I sometimes share in spoken word and poetry slams. So this is my letting go poem. And sometimes when I do perform, I start out with this idea that there are three things that matter most in life, how well we have lived, how well we have loved, and how well we have learned to let go. And sometimes I'll share a poem on living, a poem on loving, and a poem on letting go. So this is the Letting Go poem. There is an old Eskimo proverb that goes, Yesterday is ashes, tomorrow is wood. Only today does the fire burn brightly. If you think that's backwards, that today's fire will be ashes tomorrow, then you are neither an Eskimo nor in the business of creativity and love. For before something is created, first it is loved. Like your parents, nine months before your birthday, decided that this world could use one more brilliant, beautiful, shining face and infused your life with love so that it could become a song, a dance, a celebration in hopes that you could burn, burn, burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the sky. Because the only people for me are the mad ones, the glad ones, and the sad ones. The ones who know how hard it is to crawl out of the hell of addiction over the same needles that lead to biting nails and nailing fingers. And no matter how much time passes, that desire still lingers through the same, the same, the same veins that will themselves into this body because we all know there are some things that are impossible to let go of. And there are other things that are impossible to hold on to. Like this word, like this moment, like this kiss, even this happiness. It took me four months to break up with my college girlfriend, five months after the love had died. I guess she was holding on to a better ending while I played tug-of-war with her heartstrings, begging, begging for release. What are you holding on to? Do you really need it to survive? What if it disappears? Were you there to experience it fully? Or did you fall asleep at the wheel on the road of life, thinking of all the things you had to do that day, the business meetings, the bills to pay, and could you pick up some milk and eggs on the way like my father? For as he got closer to death, he grieved for the death of all the lives he could have lived. For as a man ages, his hairs fall out of his head like dreams. I'll be a fireman. I'll go to India, plucking hair. I'll get rich or die trying. Hair falls out. Or maybe it will all happen when I'm older. But I am older. So I looked up iridescent in the dictionary, and I found soap bubbles, butterfly wings, seashells. And the moment I discovered the truth that everything moves, nothing stays, and I will not hold on. Everything moves, nothing stays, and I will not hold on. But maybe, just maybe, I could hold on to this breath. <sighs> I guess now is a chance to be reborn, to start again. Can you breathe out? Can you let go? If this too shall pass, will you love in spite of it all? Will you keep dancing when the music stops? Maybe we're all just a bunch of Eskimos setting our souls on fire just to stay warm, letting our fears go and letting our tears flow because we know that life seems awfully short compared to infinity. But all that matters is you, me, these moments, these hearts, and this love. That's the poem. That was epic. Thank you.
2: To me, that poem was all about emotion. Mm. Do you think someone could be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions?
3: Uh, That's a good question. It's an interesting question because I think we're all poets. right? Many just don't know it yet or are told that you have to write a certain way or they were taught poetry in a bad way when they were in high school. But we're all poets because we're all unique, blossoming, beautiful snowflakes, figuring out what it means to be alive. And if we tap into our uniqueness and express it in a beautiful way, of course, then you will become a poet. Now, the second half of your question was, can you really be a poet if you're not in touch with your emotions? And I would say yes, but it will absolutely help to get in touch with your emotions because our emotions tap us into what it means to be human and they teach us what to value and often we live in a society that's very cognitive centric that embraces and and, and cherishes and worships the realm of the mind and the realm of thought but when we are able to get in touch with our emotions, and we call them emotions because they're energy in motion coursing through our body. We get tapped into the vaster richness of life. The Buddhists call this the life of ten thousand joys and ten thousand sorrows. And we are here as human beings to experience it all: experience the good and the bad, experience the happiness and the sadness, experience the joy and the tears. And if you get in touch with that, you will absolutely. Write better poetry.
2: (laughs) Wow, very nice. Very nice. Now, does writing energize or exhaust you?
3: (laughs) You know, that's
0: a lovely question. I
2: can't really tell. I can't really tell. Does it energize (laughs) or exhaust you?
3: (laughs) Um, You know, that's a good question. And I'll just be, you know, because people tell, people... A lot of people, like, have their book, like, in their head. Like, they have their best-selling novel in their head, and they're like, you know, a lot of people think should have become a writer. When I was reading this interview with Matt Damon, and Matt Damon, the actor, said that any time yes. someone come, comes up to him and says, I want to be an actor, he tells him no and to give up.
1: And kind he does of- that because
3: if the person, you know keeps going after being rejected by Matt Damon, of all people, it means they have what it takes to actually be an actor, because you have to get rejected thousands of times, right? Tons of auditions. So I kind of have the same attitude about writing. Someone tells me they want to be a writer, I'm like, give it up. It's the worst thing ever. (laughs) They keep doing it, then they have what it takes. Because the initial process of writing is very energizing, but when you, when you are staring at your document for like three hours trying to figure out if that specific word is the best word until you finally just f- smash the computer, close, and leave the room, that's when you become a writer. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the, re- it's, it's the the writing is easy but the editing and the revisions are the hard part right i sometimes think like imagine building like 80 percent of a house and then somebody comes up to you and they're like you know that that room on the bottom should really be there on the top and you're like oh god you're you're right it has to be that way and then you have to tear the whole thing down and start over
2: Well, you know, it's funny. That's one of my questions that I plan to ask tonight. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it?
3: Yeah, that's a good question because, you know, I also have, you know, in a few published poetry collections, I'm like, oh, I really wish this word was different, or I really wish this was this. And I do come back to a phrase I heard it originally from Sarah Kay, and she mentioned how poems are never finished. They're only abandoned.
2: <laughs> mm, interesting. I like that. I like that.
3: Because you know you're a perfectionist and you want every word to be as perfect as possible, and eventually you get so frustrated, you reach the end of your limits and your and your wits, and then indeed you do finally put it out there. Um, but in the endless unfolding of the present moment, is that uh, it can be nice to to re- revise and revisit it, and I do imagine like one day I'm gonna have. Like the collected poems of Zach Beach, and we'll pick out the best ones, and then I'll rewrite them in the best way. (laughs) But chances are that's not going to happen. So I do think, though, that poems absolutely are living creatures. Like I sometimes ask myself the question: like, in a book, where does the story lie? Right, and because it's just words on the page, and the story becomes alive when somebody actually reads it, like. And that to me is also what poetry is, is it becomes alive through the interaction of the reader itself. So I have another poetry book. It's on my computer. And uh, one of the lines is, thank you for being here. And going mm-hmm. back to how I like when things can be interpreted different ways, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit referencing the reader. Like, thank you for being here to read this sentence, because if you didn't, like, it would be a dead sentence. But you've brought it to life through the act of your reading and through the act of your own consciousness, integrating the words into your own mind.
2: Very nice. You know, I am really intrigued by the titles of your books, Drinking hmm. Roses on Sunday and 108 Savasana Poems, Blissful Words from the Heart of, a yo- of Yoga. Tell me about titling, titling your books and titling poems in general. How do you feel about titling poems?
3: Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, in, I, poetry is its own literary category, right? And to me, I, you want to remember that quote along the lines of perfection is not when nothing can be added, but when nothing can be taken away. And so with poetry it's condensed language. You want to infuse as much meaning as possible in as little words as possible. So in my mind, titles are only necessary if it serves the piece. Right. You don't need the first line of your poem to also in bold and underlined above at the top of the page. But if it does bring something to the poem, then that can be really beautiful. So a lot of poem, a lot of my titles, for example, are Easter eggs, you know, <laughs> meaning that like there might be like a word or concept in Sanskrit or a spiritual word or concept where only someone like in the know, like truly understands it. Or the reader says, wow, I really love this poem. I don't understand this title. Let me go look into it. Let me figure out what what this is. And so, like, one of my poems in 108 Shavasana poems is Trayambakam Yajamahe, which is part of a long Sanskrit um, verse and with the hopes that, like, yeah, somebody looks it up and then kind of learns a little bit more about the spiritual background from which these poems are written. Now... Drinking Roses on Sunday, I, I, I love this title. I, I, I'm a little bit of a narcissist sometimes because I kind of forget my own poems and I read them. I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> but, um, I love it because it's my poetic way of saying um, that love is my religion. All right. So Sunday mm-hmm. is the usual day that people go to church. And roses is kind of the universal sign of like love. You know, you give somebody that you love a a bundle of roses. And the idea of drinking roses to me is just like drinking love into every aspect of your being. Like literally integrating it into who you are. So drinking roses on Sunday is my way of saying that love is my religion, that this book will take you on a poetic spiritual journey of love. And it does indeed reflect reference a poem in the book of the same name. Now, 108 Shavasana poems is sort of self-explanatory in that Shavasana, for anyone that's taken a yoga class, is that final pose of the class where you just lay down and do nothing, essentially. But in doing nothing, everything gets done. Um, But the number 108, a lot of people don't realize, has extremely strong spiritual and even numerological significance. Um, So it's not just a random number that I picked, but it's actually um, a sacred, special, uh, beautiful number that I talk about in the intro to the book.
2: Wow. You know, there's an image of poets being overcome with inspiration and having to write everything out of nowhere and at once. Does this ever (laughs) happen to you? Um,
3: That's interesting because I... I'm trying. To, there's two ways I could interpret your question. One is this basic idea of inspiration or rapture or awakening, where like suddenly we feel, you know, taken by some powerful force that then we have no choice but to write about, which is common to like most mystic poets. They feel some union with some otherworldly force that that is simply ineffable, but they try their best to write it down and put it down. But the other piece of your question that it reminds me of is this idea, and I'm not sure where I got it from, but I was reading how um, there was this one poet who said that they could write a poem about every second of the day. <laughs> and be- <laughs> because, cause, you know, when people think like, oh, I want to write poetry, I'm going to write about love, I'm going to write these really big things. It's like, no, you could write, you know, a beautiful poem literally about your pen sitting on your desk, right? You could write an incredible poem about the ant going across the windowsill. And that's why for me, poetry just, it was a natural outcropping of just being present in the world, because when you do notice all the things around you, there's what I call like an ocean of small beauties. There's this like, it's just an incredible aspect of being alive to be here and just to look around and notice things. So even the poet Mary Oliver just has a three-step instructions, which isn't to me about writing poetry explicitly, but I bring it to my poetry. And she says, pay attention, be astonished, tell someone. (laughs)
0: Mm. So...
3: But, you know, pay attention to, to the world around you, to the people around you. And absolutely, like, so when you come to the realization that a, that a poem could be written about every second of every day, everything that is happening every second of every day, and then you have to somehow get a few words on the page to capture, like, the totality of human experience.
2: <laughs> you know, that's a perfect segue into my following question. So much is happening in this world the good, bad, and indifferent of it, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society?
3: Hmm. <sighs> yeah. it's You know, I recently even just watched a documentary on Bob Dylan. And, you know, many people think of Bob Dylan as a musician, but he was an incredible poet. And one of the things he did so wonderfully and so master- masterfully is capture the challenges that people were going through, the unique um, historical circumstances that the world was going through, and encapsulate it in a really beautiful way. And I was even thinking that when I heard, and you probably heard um, Amanda Gorman, I think was her name, yes. Her the poem that she read at Joe Biden's inauguration, the, the hills we climb, and it was it's, it was a beautiful poem, and you know the YouTube video it you know got millions of views, and beca- because it purpose- perfectly encapsulated what so many of us were going through, and, and it encapsulated the challenges in a very inspiring way. So there's even a line in that poem that I I also have been carrying with me, and it's basically like the United States is not broken it's just unfinished and that line to me has given me a lot of hope right when i go to other countries and i think about the united states i'm like holy cow the united states is an infant it is a baby like (laughs) you go like there are tea houses in japan that have been there for a thousand years Right. And the United States, it's, you know, it's a baby of a country. Like we're still figuring out so much of, you know, how to function, how to live with each other, what, you know, what policies and values and things you want to live by. And it's so as Amanda Gorman put it, like we're not broken. When we look at the challenges that we're facing, we're just young, we're growing, we're learning and it's unfinished. And we are writing our future right now. And that's where poetry can come in because that's we are writing the future. We are encapsulating what we're experiencing right now and then writing it in a way that directs us towards the vision that we all can create.
2: Nicely, nicely stated. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Zach Beach. Zach, I have a question for you. All right. All right.
0: Does, knowing
2: that, your poem, <laughs> does <laughs> knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing that they're out of your system?
3: <laughs> oh, the endless need for validation. You know, I was, writing a few months ago and having some trouble with what I was trying to put to paper and then I met up with my friend and she's an artist and does really amazing like abstract art like I I just look at it and I love it and I go do you ever experience like crippling self-doubt? And then she's like, you mean do I ever not experience it? <laughs> 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 uh, I think that I think that's part of you know, any artist, any poet, is this perennial like, is anything that I'm doing having any impact on anything whatsoever, right? So on the one hand, I'm very proud of the works that I've put out into the world, but I'm endlessly creating new works because I feel like they aren't fully sufficient to capture the essence of what I am trying to communicate. Um, And, you know, I think about, like, all those directors that you see that churn out movie after movie, like, they might make a masterpiece, but it was just one aspect of what they wanted to bring to the world, and they keep going, and that is the same for me. And I don't think I'll ever be like, I'm done, I've written everything I wanted to write Um, I'm always exploring always growing, always reading and being inspired by other people's work and other people's poetry so and also there's always that little like self-doubt like, you know, sometimes we say, you've probably heard this quote in the poetry world that there's more people writing poetry than reading it (laughs) yes (laughs) that is so true Uh, so even being in this in this field of work, so to speak, um, it is its own unique challenge. Um, but you know, I often think I often think that if you can change one person's life, like you've done it, like you've made it worth it, and um, and to know that like you know one person has enjoyed my poetry, that to me is like all the validation that I need.
2: Do you think you were meant to be a poet? It's
3: mm, a good question. I think, you know, for me, poetry is more of a means than an end. I do think of the, my work in the world, like my purpose in the world, is to bring more love into it. Um, I, think, I think love is the reason that we are here, that love is the essence of who we are as human beings, that if we want a meaningful and happy life, we have to look no further than deepening our connection with each other, with ourselves, and with the world. With the world, And so my work in the world is on doing that, cultivating that connection. And I'm like, well, how can I do that?
0: Because
3: <laughs> right? there's no like, love incorporated that you can get a job at. And you can't go to school and major in love minor in compassion at least not yet at least so poetry to me is one of the ways that I that I do that and it's one of the ways I get in touch with my own heart to connect my heart with other people's heart it's it's to me is the language of the heart right the language of the mind speaks a certain way but the language of the heart simply speaks in poetry so in sort of like blossoming to the full fullest expression of my being poetry is one way that allows me to fulfill my work
2: and purpose in the world language of the heart Hmm. I like that please share another poem
3: yes I'll just share a short one because I do have finished manuscripts and you mentioned like earlier around what is a poet's role in modern-day society and The poet is almost, you know, like the archetype of the jester, you know, can point out that the emperor has no clothes or can provide a certain level of social commentary on the world. And this, po- this manuscript is all about less and less is more and simplifying our life because we do live in a society that says you need more, you need to work more, gain more, work hard. If you're not working hard, you're falling behind. So... The whole collection is a bunch of very short, simple poetry, uh, poems. And it's really just designed to shift from this endless, materialist, capitalist pursuit of more to finding peace exactly where we are, wherever we are in our lives. So this poem is quite simple, and it goes like this. Few words can ruin a life so much as hurry or I'm busy. Do you think wonder or joy ever arrive on schedule? That's the poem.
2: One more time. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't give me time to focus. One more
3: time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll read another poem to get you an idea of what this collection is all about. Okay. And I'll, so I'll read the second poem, and then I'll go back to the first one. So here's another okay. one I like. All right. And these have no titles. Right? Earlier, I asked okay. about titles. And yes. this is all about minimalism, all about less is more, all about perfection is when nothing can be taken away. So this poem goes, I once saw a man murder the baker inside of him to put an accountant in his place. But that sweet croissant scent tormented him for the rest of his fledgery life.
2: I got that one.
3: (laughs) So the poem I read before was, few words can ruin a life so much as hurry or I'm busy. Do you ever think wonder or joy arrive on schedule?
2: Mm. You know, I wanna focus on the second poem for a moment, the one around the baker. I would like you mm-hmm. to imagine for a moment that a that a poem is like a cake. All right? Okay. What are some of the most prevalent a, ingredients a that go into cake. the concoction we call a poem? <laughs> yes.
3: What goes into creating a poem? That's a good question, and it's kind of hard to answer because there's so many different forms of poetry, right? So many different ways to put a poem together, so many different ways to read it, interpret it, Mm -hmm. everything from, like, the babble poetry of Kerak to Walt Whitman's grandiose expressions to the minimalism of Dickinson. But... For me, what's really important about poetry is that it does exist in its own liminal space where the words mean more than what it says in the dictionary. So, for example, I was reading in one of Mary Oliver's, we've been talking about quite a lot today, one of Mary Oliver's books on writing poetry, and she says there's a huge difference between a rock and a stone. Right. And maybe if you look in the thesaurus, these are synonyms of each other. But okay. when you have the word stone, like when I read and hear the word stone, I think of a smooth, rounded, you know, rounded by the erosion of water and stream, something that has a nice weight in your hand. That to me is a stone. And even the word encapsulates it too, right? It's got an O, it's got a round... Uh, texture to it it's also something you can uh, make long you can say stone right but a rock is a sharp you know jagged uh, heavy object that's very very different so in poetry so too you're looking at how the words actually sound how they form where the accent of the word lies right when you say to be or not to be Right? There's emphasis that we have in the English language that we don't have in other languages, right? So there's so much more that we can encapsulate in the cake <laughs> that is poetry. <laughs> um, but you know there's a line there's a poem there's a poet I love. His name is Buddy Wakefield. Um, you maybe heard, like the spoken word circuit with like Anis Moshgani and some of those other really amazing people. And in one of his poems, he goes like this. He says, I smashed a beehive against the ocean to try and make our splash last longer. Do you remember all the honey? It was drizzling out from the tips of your wasps. This is an apology letter to the both of us for how long it took me to let things go. And I love, wow. you know, I love, I love the whole poem, and I really love those lines, because when the, when the mind tries to grasp it, like, you know, you did what now? You smashed a beehive against the ocean? Like, what does that mean, right? So, so too, when people read poetry, they always want to be like, what does it mean, right? And it's like, it means so much more than the mind could potentially grasp. You have to use sound. You have to use your senses. You have to use your emotions. You have to just focus on imagery without needing to explain or understand it. And you just can let it wash over you. So it's that liminality that, to me, is what makes poetry so beautiful and exists in its own special place beyond the discursive, logical, rational reading and writing that we find in other forms of literary arts.
2: What do you hope that readers get from encountering your poems? Hmm.
3: Well, the biggest theme across my poetry is self-love and Mm self-acceptance. So I do really hope and feel that through reading my poetry, my readers understand that they are perfect just the way they are. There's nothing they need to do, change, improve about themselves. They are worthy no matter what. No matter what mistakes get made, no matter what emotional reactions they have to things, no matter what somebody says, no matter if they lose their job or if somebody dumps them, that they are worthy of all the love that their heart can handle. And they are perfect just the way they are.
2: We have time, Zach, for one more poem. Please favor us again before we go.
3: All right, let's see. Um, I'll pick one. I'm looking at my 108 Shavasana poems, and I want to find one that's in line with what I was just saying. So this one is called Make a Dying. And for your listeners that don't know, so Shavasana is a Sanskrit word, and Shava means corpse, and Asana means pose or posture. So Shavasana actually means corpse pose, so it's like the death pose. And it's where like, we let our ego, our thoughts, our emotions all die away just to rest in the oceans of your being. So I really like this idea of making a dying, and in the poem will explain what that means in a second. So this poem goes, Don't make a living, make a dying. Let your body be made of sand. As ocean waves tickle your toes, dissolve away into the depths. Expose yourself to destruction to discover the the invincible. Don't make a living, make a dying. Forgive others, love yourself, thank your friends, make amends. Cherish your parents, be kind to others, appreciate life, and finally commit to doing that thing you've been putting off. Don't make a living, make a dying. Savor what you do have, lament less about what you don't. Absorb this unfolding surprise of this moment into the core of your being like it's the last you will ever do, for it may be.
2: That That's was poem. really, really nice. That touched me more than you know.
3: Oh, wonderful. Well, like I said, yes. if I touched one person today, <laughs> then, my, then it's worth it. So thank
2: you All so right. much, Michael. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for sharing your work. You're an incredible poet, and I wish you nothing but the best.
3: Mm, thank you.
2: And your books are available on Amazon.com. Check out Zach Beach, everybody. Check him out. Mm. He's a good man. All right. I want to thank all of you for listening tonight. And until we meet again, as I share every week, let poetry ring. All right. Good night, everybody. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.